Well, this morning, I am especially excited for a different type of sermon. We get to look back a bit on the journey that we have had together through a really hard season, uh, through a, a time with many difficulties and trials, and yet we have had faithful companions in the books of First and Second Thessalonians. And so this morning, our sermon will be a bit of an overview sermon of the message of both of these letters from one apostle to one church with a unified message that all Christians need to hear. And uh, so it'll be a little different than normal. It won't just be uh, me explaining one section. We will be moving through these two books. So uh, you have been warned, buckle up, it will, we will move quickly. But let's begin with a word of prayer and ask the Lord's blessing on our time studying his word. Father, thank you for being a God that speaks. So would you help us to be a people that listens, that takes to heart every one of your words, especially as we think back over the many things we have gleaned from these books in front of us. Would, would you help us to hold on to the, the bits of truth that you've revealed to us that we so desperately need if we are to live confidently and with comfort until the coming of our Lord Jesus. We pray these things in his mighty name. Amen. Some things require perspective in order to truly appreciate. Familiar with the thing that people do in stadiums, college stadiums a lot of times, of crowd flashcards. One side of the stadium, everyone has a card and they flip it up at the same time and it either has a, a big message of some sort or an, a mascot. It's invisible if you're sitting with the people with the flashcards. It's only possible to see what will be revealed when it's flipped up from the other side with the proper perspective. Uh, back in 1961, on a sunny day in Pasadena, California, this was illustrated in great degree. Uh, it was the Rose Bowl between the Washington Huskies and the Minnesota Golden Gophers. The Huskies cheerleaders had arranged for these crowd flashcards to be set up on one side of the arena. And there was a series of them, about a 10 or so in a row that went up with no problems whatsoever. But on number 11, something odd happened. Instead of the image that appeared when the crowd all simultaneously flipped up the card being the expected Husky, instead an animal that had suspiciously large teeth appeared. Looked a, a bit like a beaver. Well, people were a little confused, but they went through a couple more iterations before everything came into focus. Because on the 14th flashcard, up came the words Caltech, not the Huskies. Turns out that this is a prank for the record books. One uh, uh, reporter described it as the greatest, greatest collegiate prank of all time. Some Caltech students managed to pose as reporters, pick some locks, come up with a grand conspiracy, and switch all the cards to make those words Caltech appear. Of course, the people flipping up the cards had no clue because you can only tell with the right perspective. Perspective, it matters so much, doesn't it? It can change the way you understand something you're living through, and it could certainly change the way you're understanding something 
that is long since in your past. The books of First and Second Thessalonians have helped to provide us with a perspective that's vital to live faithfully as a Christian. The perspective of heaven itself. See, the Christian life is not the sort of thing that makes sense if you just try to look at it from your own point of view. What you are experiencing here and now with the thing, people and things around you happening. Now, for, to live faithfully as a Christian, you need to be able to take a step back and see the bigger thing that God is doing. There's one message in these two books that I want us to capture this morning. It is this. That we are saved into a fruitful fellowship that draws confidence and comfort from the coming of Christ. We are saved into a fruitful fellowship that draws confidence and comfort from the coming of Christ. That we're not saved alone and we're not saved to walk through this earth alone. No, we're saved together in the Christian walk. And the books of First and Second Thessalonians help us to see that. We'll see that big point as well as many other steps along the way that build to that point in three sections is how I'll summarize these two books. The first of those sections is this. We need to know where our fellowship comes from. Where our fellowship comes from. If you ever want to get a married couple talking, there's an easy question you can ask. You can simply ask them, how is it that you two met? Usually you'll see a smile creep onto their face. Sometimes one spouse will nudge another one in the ribs. With... There's always a story behind those long-lasting relationships of love. Well, the it may not be a husband-wife relationship between the planter and his church plant, but the story of the Apostle Paul and the church of the Thessalonians was a special one indeed. We get a window into it early on in 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 8 through 9. 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 9. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. A brief window into this loving relationship between the Apostle Paul and the Thessalonians reminds us that they went from being idol worshipers to those who had their identity in Christ. They went from those who, like the pagan culture around them, had no hope to having the eternal and secure hope of the second coming of Christ. Uh, how did that happen? Well, on Paul's missionary journey, he showed up in Thessalonica it was a, a bustling trade city with lots of competing philosophies and religions. And he went, and as was his pattern, he preached to both Jews and then eventually to Gentiles. And you wouldn't believe it, the most amazing thing happened. Some of those Gentiles came to faith. So many of them, and so dramatically was their coming to faith that some persecution quickly whipped up and the Apostle Paul actually had to leave town cutting his discipleship short of this fledgling church. 
The passage I just read shows that their conversion was so dramatic that other churches around the globe started gossiping about what God had done. The people were saying, you won't believe what happened in Thessalonica. God saved some idol worshipers and made them into brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a, a, a wonderful thing to realize that when, whenever someone listens to and responds to the gospel of Jesus, that they are joined to us as part of the global body of Christ. And when we hear stories of God doing that, it builds our faith. Uh, to, to that end, I want to encourage you, tonight would be a great opportunity for you to come to our monthly prayer meeting. Uh, there'll be two opportunities for you to hear stories just like this. One will be uh, someone doing ministry around the globe, hearing of the difficulties and, yes, even the blessings and fruits of the, the gospel going forth in a place very different than Indianapolis. And the other is a testimony of someone that came to faith in our very church. Uh, so let me encourage you, come tonight, 5 o'clock, pray with us and be encouraged with us. Hear the gossip of what God's doing among our church and around the world. Well, the Apostle Paul had this loving relationship with the Thessalonians. Th th these letters are extremely warm. You get the sense that they really had affection and desire for each other. And that was made especially difficult because using the Apostle Paul's own words, they were ripped away from each other. That uh, opposition to Paul forced him out of town much earlier than he intended. And from that point forward, Paul was unable to get back to the Thessalonian church. He was probably in Corinth when he wrote these letters. And frankly, he was more than a little bit anxious. Paul was beginning to worry what had happened since he was forced away. Uh, would the opposition get so strong that they would abandon Jesus altogether? Would false teachers rush in and lead them astray? He just had to know. He was losing sleep over what was going to happen to these disciples that he cared so much about. So he finally got around to doing something about it. He'd been trying to get back himself. That didn't work, so he couldn't uh, arrive. So he sent his protege, Timothy, instead. And Timothy was given to, to uh, a, a twin mission among the Thessalonians. He was to encourage and exhort, but there was also a subtext to it. He was also to get a report and come back to Paul and tell him what happened. Well, we see what happened in 1 Thessalonians 3, 7 through 9. Timothy comes back, and to great relief of the Apostle Paul, the church has been found faithful. They still love Paul, and they're still faithful to Christ. Listen to Paul's reaction after he hears the good news. 1 Thessalonians 3, 7. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? Paul says, in, in essence, now I can start living. I am so joyful to hear that you are still faithful to the Lord Jesus, that finally I can sleep at night. Finally, I can go about my day without groaning. Finally, life can start again. 
You get the sense that the Apostle Paul was extremely invested in this church. This church he didn't really have much time with to start. And yet it turns out his heart never left all along. Now I wonder, is there anyone, any Christian in your life that you're invested in that way? Is there anyone who you might lose sleep over? Wondering how their faith is going to progress or turn out. Is there anyone that you're investing in so heavily that you might even be able to reap a dividend of joy if it turns out they do stay faithful to Jesus? The Apostle Paul gives us a wonderful example of the way that our fellowship is designed to knit us close together. It comes from the preaching of the gospel, but it doesn't end there. We're we're not just saved as individuals. We're saved into a community, the community of local churches. Uh, I I hope you have relationships like that in your Christian walk. I, I recently got a phone call from someone who I got the blessing and great joy to invest in for several years, years ago. And it was my great delight to hear him tell me how the Lord was still working in his life. And in fact, now he is even going to seminary to enter the ministry. Uh, There's nothing quite like seeing the Lord use you in someone else's life that way. If you don't have any sort of relationships that could bear those sorts of dividends of joy, you need to ask yourself if something's missing to your Christian life. Uh, You should ask yourself the flip side of that equation too. If you were to stop coming to church, if you were to abandon the faith altogether, is there anyone that would notice? If we're living the Christian life as if it is a solo affair, just me and my Bible and my Lord with no one else really considered in the equation, something is missing. Because yes, we're saved, but we're saved into a community, into a fellowship. A fellowship of all those in the body of of Christ. I know this year I have, like many of you, uh, been unable to spend as much time with other Christians, even on Sunday mornings, as I would like. And frankly, that has been a hard thing. It has not been a good thing for my heart or my soul. The, The Lord has been faithful. He has provided grace. And yet one of the lessons I have taken from this last year is that I've taken for granted how intertwined my life and even my faith is with other Christians. When we gather for a Sunday morning service or a prayer meeting or a small group, every time we come together with our brothers and sisters, the fellowship we share, it's not just optional. It is essential for us remaining faithful to Christ. Well, that brings us to the, the second theme that we see very prominently in the book of Second Thessalonians, First and Second Thessalonians. It's not just where our faith comes from, our fellowship comes from, but it's how our fellowship can be sustained. How does how did the Thessalonians stay faithful? But even more important than that, how did the Apostle Paul work to help them remain faithful until that final day when the Lord Jesus returns? Our family, I'm told, is not alone in this. We uh, made a, a rather risky decision to bring into our house a pandemic puppy. 
seemed like a great idea at the time. Uh, turns out puppies are lots of fun. They're also lots of work. And we've learned a lot about being dog owners. Willow has been a, a wonderful addition to our family. You know, the kids are uh, sometimes doing their part in caring for her. Um, but we've le- one of the things that they, you, you learn as you start reading about caring for a dog is how important a healthy diet is to keeping your dog healthy. There are hundreds of different types of dog foods with different blends of ingredients and meats and grains and different things that, and if you want to keep your dog healthy, chances are you're going to give at least some thought to what you will feed it. There's an analogy that could be drawn to the Christian life, that there is a a healthy diet that Christians and indeed churches need in order to remain healthy. And Paul gives a wonderful example of a healthy, balanced diet of encouragement and exhortation. There is lots and lots of encouragement in these two letters. Uh, I told you earlier that there seemed to be a warm, vibrant relationship between the Thessalonians and Paul. And that comes out in Paul's writing. It is very obvious that he loves his church and he thinks very highly of them. You can see that come out four times in these books in the way Paul tells them about their prayers. Now, we don't have time to go through all these, but I'm just going to summarize them for you. He tells the Thessalonians, this is what I thank God for about you. In chapter 1, of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 2 through 8, he thanks God for the testimony of their salvation, the, them being saved and that being heard all around the world and the other churches gossiping about it. And in 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, he thanks God for the way that they received the preaching of the word of God. That is the way that they received the gospel messages with open hearts. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 through 4, he thanks God for their way, their faith continued flourishing even when it was under affliction. Even when they were suffering, they still remained faithful. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, he thanks God for the way that they were saved and the way that they are being made like Jesus. This is a very intentional pattern that the Apostle Paul gives for Christians to follow in of encouragement of telling others how we see God at work in their life. And if you think I'm stretching that, three times in these books, he commands the Thessalonians to encourage each other. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, encourage one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build one another up. 2 Thessalonians uh, 3.14, encourage the faint-hearted. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.14, encourage the faint-hearted. Encouragement is vital to maintaining a healthy Christian, and it's vital to maintaining a healthy church. Now, I know sometimes we are hesitant to tell people uh, things that we think might cause their soul to be puffed up with pride. So sometimes we stay silent because we just aren't, we we don't see a way that we can tell them something positive about their life without uh, helping them to be prideful. But the Apostle Paul gives us a wonderful example of how to do that. We just give God the glory for what we see in other Christians. We say things like, 
I thank God for the way I see you parenting your kids. You tell someone, I was thanking the Lord for the encouragement your words brought me the other day. You tell someone, give God the glory for the way you are using your gifts to serve the body of Christ. As a church, if we want to remain healthy, we need to practice this discipline of encouragement. But encouragement on its own is not enough for a balanced, healthy diet. There's also the need for clear steps of practicality. How do you live out the Christian life? And Paul gives us a wonderful example of that other discipline of exhortation. There are, these books are filled with practical uh, commands and ways to live out your Christian faith. Uh, you can see that there's an expectation that none of us are finished products and that we all have room to go, grow. Passage we read earlier, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. You see both the exhortation and the encouragement there. Just as you're already doing, following the example I gave you, and yet there's more room to grow. Do so more and more. None of us are finished products, and all of us need help to live a life pleasing and more and more like our Lord Jesus. So this book is filled with instructions on things like sexual purity, how to keep your life and your body holy for the Lord, uh, your work and your vocation, how, how to work fruitfully and faithfully until the Lord Jesus returns. Uh, it gives us examples of leadership, how we are to submit to leaders and how leaders are to use their position of authority for the good of the church. It even gets down into the practicalities of worship, how we are to pray, how we are to preach and receive the word, how, how we are to be open to the Spirit's leading and prophecy. This is a book filled with instructions because frankly, the Christian life is in need of instruction. Now, this does not mean that we earn our standing before God or that we go in and out of right standing with God based on how well we obey. No, it's a structure that helps us to understand how we are making progress. It, it provides us with the perspective to see how God is at work in ourselves and in other Christians. So I need to ask, brothers and sisters, this has been a hard year. Has it been a hard year spiritually for you? Uh, are there any spots in your Christian walk that you can point back to? Anything specific in which you can see God having granted you progress, sanctification, being a little bit more like Jesus than you were before uh, the last year. The expectation for Christians is that they will grow. And the expectation is that other Christians will help them grow. We need exhortation. We need encouragement. And sometimes we even need discipline to be diligent in our pursuit of the Lord Jesus in a life that is pleasing to him. So if, if you haven't been able to spot as many uh, places in your Christian walk this last year that you think are fruitful, you, you don't see as much progress as you like, I, I wonder if you'd ask yourself this question. How might 
a member of my church this next year, how might they be able to help me live a life that's pleasing to Jesus? Is there someone that can help me learn how to pray more effectively than I do? Is there someone that can walk alongside me and encourage me to be faithful in my witness in the office? Is there someone that can show me how to do a particular type of ministry that maybe I feel my heart tugged toward? Remember, we are, we're saved, we're saved into a community, and that community is designed to encourage and exhort each other so that we remain together and even grow in our uh, ability to serve the Lord. So we saw where our fellowship comes from. We also saw how it can remain together through the encouragements and exhortations of our fellow Christians. But if there's one dominant theme in these two books, it is the most important, the, the best for last. And that is where our fellowship is heading. Where our fellowship is heading. You cannot understand the Christian life unless you know the meeting that the Christian life is heading for. One of the most dominant themes in these two letters is the second coming of the Lord Jesus. That Jesus didn't just die on a cross and ascend into heaven. No, he's coming back. And his coming changes everything for how we understand the Christian life. There were two crises related to the second coming of Christ in these two letters. The first was from the passage we, we read earlier, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, I'll just read one of the verses from it, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do with no hope. The Thessalonians were living amongst a culture in a time that was very pessimistic about death. The dead were lost. They were gone. There was no hope for them. So even Christians, especially ones that hadn't been fully discipled, were find, found themselves stumbling over the fact that some Christians don't live forever. They die. And once they're gone, it feels like they're gone forever. But the Apostle Paul reminds them that if Jesus is coming back, then he will certainly bring back with him all the Christians that have preceded us in death. That when Jesus arrives, he will bring with him all the dead Christians who will be joined with us as Jesus raises from the dead all Christians who have died. And that they will join in the welcome party as the earth finally receives its king. He writes to give them a vision, yes, a perspective of that day coming so they would understand death very differently than the world around them. Death isn't a goodbye. It's just a see you later. Because if you die in Christ, then you will live in Christ forever in a remade heavens and earth. There was a, a second crisis related to the second coming in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2. I'll read the, the first three verses of it, Second Thessalonians 2, 1 to 3. Now concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to, to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. After a very short period of time, after Paul wrote the first Thessalonians, he got a report of a second crisis related to the second coming. 
It turned out that somebody had been teaching that Christ had already come, and this was as good as it was going to get. Now, that's a problem because the Thessalonians, remember, were a church that was suffering for their faith. They were increasingly feeling the pinch of persecution. And if this is as good as it gets, well, frankly, this isn't very good. So Paul writes to give them comfort and confidence by showing them, no, 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 Christ hasn't come back. You'll know it when it happens. And that was one of the more difficult passages in the whole Bible. But Paul lays out some things that will happen, recognizable things. And so you'll be able to know when Jesus has returned. There'll be a great rebellion uh, uh, led by a chief rebel, uh, a man of lawlessness at the head of a movement, a, a mystery of deception that opposes God in all ways. It'll be a dark time, a time full of deception. And yet the good news is that it will end abruptly as the Lord Jesus arrives and kills the man of lawlessness with the very breath of his mouth. As quickly as whoever this man is rises to power, Jesus will slay him in front of all of us and we'll forget him as soon as he is killed. Paul writes all of this for a purpose, to comfort the Thessalonians, to remind them you won't miss it. And you can live confidently, knowing that in the end, Jesus wins, which means your faith wins. See, the Christian life, in essence, is a life of playing the long game. Oh, you may well be frustrated with many trials and troubles right now. It could be that you have some sin that you just never feel like you can shake. Or maybe there's some chronic pain you live with that makes life, frankly, very difficult. Maybe it's the fear of the way political winds are blowing, the fear of what comes next in the generations to come if Jesus tarries. How does the perspective that Jesus is coming back and that his coming will bring with it perfect justice and joy. How does that perspective change your way of living through these difficulties? There's not a single sin, brother and sister, that will define you for eternity. One day you will be free of even, yes, that sin. There's not a trial or difficulty, not a pain that you will carry with you as you walk with Jesus through the new heavens and the new earth. There is not a world power there's no philosophy. There is no movement that will ultimately win the day. At the end of the day, Jesus will stand victorious and you will be standing with him because he will make sure you remain faithful to the end. See, if the books of First and Second Thessalonians were to be summed up in any way, is that they are to, be, to give you confidence and comfort at the coming of Christ. We are saved into a community, a community that's supposed to be able to know for sure that Jesus is coming back. And that means we can live through anything together. So brothers and sisters, I don't know what particular difficulties this year has brought for you. I, I know there are many that have borne griefs. We, we've had many more funerals than I ever hoped to have in a short few weeks 
I know many of you have dealt with intense loneliness. Some of you have lost jobs. Many of you have felt frustrated this season that feels like it's continuing to go on and on. I, I know for many of us, this has been a very hard season spiritually. But do you have the perspective of heaven looking down? Would you see your life as part of this, this victory march of Christ's church through this world? And would you have the confidence that, yes, the Lord is faithful. He will do this in your life as sure as he will in all the other Christians' lives that you're joined to. I don't know what 2021 will bring. I can't stand here and promise you that every day will be a Friday, that there will be no new virus or no new political uh, intrigue for us to worry about, but I can promise you that the grace of our Lord Jesus and his peace will guide us faithfully through whatever he calls us to. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, if there's one thing that the book of First and Thessalonians, First uh, and Second Thessalonians, has to say to you, it's simply this: Jesus is coming back, and you need to be ready for that day. Well, Christians look forward to that day as a day of relief, and yes, even a day of joy. It'll be a very different day for those who don't know God through Jesus Christ. It tells us it will be a day of repayment, a day of judgment, a day, yes, even of sorrow. Because on that day, Jesus himself will show himself to be not just a a meek carpenter, but the very judge of all humanity. And his assessment of those who try to Enter into that meeting on their own merit will not be a good one. Friend, maybe you don't think much about what God thinks of you, but you need to. The Bible tells us that we are sinners. That means that we have rebelled against God in our hearts and we are deserving of nothing but punishment from him. And the book of First and Second Thessalonians tells us that that judgment will be terrible. Friend, I don't want that for you. Your Christian friends don't want that for you. They want you instead to be saved from that coming day. To instead to look forward to it because you know the one who will judge you, that you know Jesus Christ personally. Jesus is the most loving, merciful person you will ever meet. He offers you forgiveness of every single one of your sins. If you will turn from living for yourself, Turn from trying to earn your way into heaven and and instead trust him to have paid the penalty for your sins and and to be able to give you eternal life. Now, friend, I know there's probably a lot you don't understand about what it means to be a Christian, but I hope you can understand this much. You need to trust Jesus to have any hope on that day coming. On the day Jesus arrives, it will be too late. Don't wait. Trust Jesus today. If you don't know how to do that, come talk with me, or even better, find a Christian friend and ask them, how can I put my trust in Jesus? Well, brothers and sisters, these faithful companions of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, uh, we haven't even, we haven't been able to scratch the surface of the depths of the riches that are found within them, but I hope that some, at least of the most important things that God has taught us, might find their way in the depths of your heart.
And the very ending of the, both of these books, 2 Thessalonians 3, 16 through 18, is a fitting way for us to cap off the series. The first letter starts off with grace and peace, and the second letter ends with those same things. Peace first, peace from the Lord himself at all times and in every way. The peace in your heart of knowing that Jesus is coming back, and that day will make it all worth it. And then grace, the grace needed for you to live a faithful life, yes, even through afflictions. What can allow us as a church to remain faithful this year and every year to come? The grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or you could say it another way. We draw comfort and confidence in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we know we will be saved together when he comes. Let's pray.